Hey everyone, this is Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the Center for Faith and Culture. We're going to jump into our episode with Dr. Hildreth and Professor Locke here in just a minute. But before we do, I wanted to remind you of the breaking news that we have that we are giving away a whole stack of books. That's right, we got a bunch of books, an entire stack. We want to give it away to you. The contest ends this Sunday night, December 19th. So if you want to enter to win, head over to cfc.scbts.edu. Again, cfc.scbts.edu. And you can enter to win that stack of books before the contest ends on December 19th. Okay, that's all. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy today's conversation. And we hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Welcome to Christ and Culture the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. And today's Christ and Culture conversation, we're going to talk to Dr. Scott Hildreth and Professor Ranjur Locke about the gospel. I can't think of a better topic to discuss, especially this time of the year. And after that, we'll invite some of the staff here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture to share their Christmas traditions. But first, it's time for our segment, In the News. Our listeners are probably spending their time watching Christmas movies from classics like It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street or Elf, whatever you want to throw into that list. Maybe the new romantic comedy on Hallmark or something like that. You mean Die Hard? Or Die Hard or, you know, whatever. Uh, Dr. Keithley, it's time to decide, from your perspective, what is the greatest Christmas movie ever and why? Well, you've already mentioned it. It's the greatest Christmas movie of all time because it's a Molinist Christmas movie, and that's It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, because uh, <laughs> The possibility of another world, and yeah, that would yeah, play it, out. What, it, it, it really does present uh, the Molinist paradigm very well in that George Bailey, uh, which is the Jimmy Stewart character, is shown what the world would have been like down to the finest detail what the world would have been like if he'd never been born. And it goes to show how God can control everything down to the finest detail, and yet humans have real agency, Mm. and they make a real difference in the world in which God has created. So I I enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life long before I ever uh, embraced Molinism uh, for so many, so many good reasons. However, I'd have to say that my favorite Christmas show is not a movie. It's the great Charles Schultz cartoon special, Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, of if you think about it, everything that we just mentioned, those are all good Christmas movies, but there's something lacking from each and every one of them, mm. something that Charlie Brown himself brought up. Yeah. What is missing? Yeah. And that classic scene where Linus says, well, I can tell you. Yeah. The lights come on, uh, and he quotes from Luke chapter 2. That is the one and only Christmas special of which I'm aware yeah. Where he goes ahead and says, this is really what Christmas is And just is reads about. it straight from the scriptures. Uh, it's a magnificent moment. Uh, and here's the thing. Back, I, I am old enough uh, that I remember the very first time it was broadcast. Back in the 1960s, I was just a little boy at the time. And I remember being impacted then. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the story goes that CBS executives did not want that scene to be in the special and wanted it taken out. Schultz, who was a Christian, an evangelical Christian, said, take it out. We don't have a story. Mm. We're done. 
And so he stood his ground, and today we have that classic. And we still watch this classic. I showed it to my kids just a few years ago. They, I don't, shame on me, they didn't know who Charlie Brown was until then, <laughs> but we've enjoyed that together. And the same with It's a Wonderful Life. You know, even though cinematography advances and there's all kinds of new techniques and technologies, but that story is, it has stood the test of time. It's still a fascinating story, and it's one that's made it into so many of our own Christian traditions. So thank you for that, Dr. Keithley. One last thing before our Christ and Culture conversation, do us a huge favor by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, rate our podcast, and give us a brief review. This small step goes a long way in helping us spread the word about Christ and Culture. What exactly is the gospel? Especially this time of year around Christmas time, we sing joy to the world, all kinds of good news type of themes in our songs and in our messages. This may sound like a strange question to ask even on a podcast that's aimed towards Christians, but we use this term gospel so often and for so many different things, it can easily lose its meaning, Dr. Keithley. Yes, and today in our monthly roundtable discussion, let's discuss this and related questions as we address this month's theological doctrine the exclusivity of the gospel. So here to join us for the conversation are Dr. Scott Hildreth, who is the Assistant Professor of Missiology and the George Lyle Director of the Center for Great Commission Studies, and Ranjur Locke, who is Instructor of Preaching and Urban Ministry and directs the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership. Dr. Hildreth, Professor Locke, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Thank you. Why don't we go ahead and start by defining some terms. Okay. Uh, what do we mean by the exclusivity of the gospel? Uh, exclusivism, why don't we go ahead and say, what is that compared to inclusivism, pluralism? Take it away. Who wants to start? Sure. I mean, I think when we think about exclusivism or the exclusivity of the gospel, we're making a pretty... A clear statement that there's only one way for sinful man to be right with a holy God, mm-hmm. and that's through personal faith in Jesus Christ, as opposed to non-personal faith, anonymous faith, or that there are multiple pathways to be right with uh, with God. So exclusivity, we're saying that there's one way, that's Jesus, and that we are right with God uh, by faith in Jesus. I have to admit, uh, it's not my favorite label. Supposedly, Alan Race, who is a pluralist, is the one who's credited with coming up the terms exclusivism, inclusivism, and pluralism, and he was no friend to the exclusivist position. And if you think about it, if you let somebody else identify the labels, it mm-hmm. puts you at a disadvantage. The label is intrinsically pejorative right? Uh, because it sounds like we're keeping people out uh, exclusive. It mm. sounds like we're trying to make the gospel sound like some kind of Jim Crow country club right. mm. that, that only certain ones are allowed in, and if you're not in, you're out. It's exclusive. So rather than the term exclusive, and I go ahead and own it because mm. that's what everybody understands, so I go ahead and say, yes, I hold to the exclusivity of the gospel. But then I go ahead and say, what we really mean is that the gospel is essential. It's not that we're saying no to all of these other avenues. We're saying there was no other, there were no other avenues until Jesus came. And so it isn't that we are closing all the doors and all the other escape exits. We're telling the world there is a door to salvation. There is a way. And so I like saying it in a positive way, Mm -hmm. you know, that the gospel is essential. But it's still controversial. Right. 
uh, especially I suspect in, in the missiological world, what kind of discussions do you find yourself in? Well, sure. I mean, I think when we think about missions, there are, um, there are two or three, I think, pinch points. Uh, clearly, there's the academic pinch point where you end up discussing, hey, what about, what about those who've never heard the gospel? Or what about very sincere adherence to other faiths? Are you telling me that if somebody, you know, they grow up in Islam or a Hindu, Buddhist uh, context, and they're very sincere about their faith, they go to the mosque or the temple, they do everything they know to do. Are you saying that God somehow is going to stick his arm out and not let them in? Mm-hmm. So there's that. There's that. There's the, again, there's in the notion of the ones who've never heard. You mean that God would, you know, somehow hold someone accountable for a message they've never heard. And so they they didn't hear, how could they believe? And so is God so, you know, so hardcore that he wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't let them in. So we have the academic question. That one actually doesn't bother me. The one that bothers me is the practical pastoral question. When I sit across the table, the tea room, and I talk with somebody who is a Christian, and they say, yeah, but what about my mom? Mm -hmm. What about my dad? What about my grandparents who I know no one ever told them? I I was in... um, was in Berlin one time having a conversation with a bunch of guys from Muslim country, and a couple weeks before they'd prayed, trusted Christ as their Savior. And when I came in, I could tell there was a little bit of agitation in the room, and they were uh, they started bombarding me with questions. So questions like, so you mean the only way to be right with God is to believe in Jesus, and somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus is not going to go to heaven, they're going to go to hell. And they, all of these questions, and I finally said, guys, wait a minute, I thought we covered this weeks ago. Why are we, why are we now talking about this? And, and they said, well, whoa, whoa. they said, you need to understand, we're Christians. We really have come to believe that Jesus is our Savior. But this past week, we were reminded of our parents mm-hmm. who live in this country where no missionary has ever gone as far as we know. We're thinking about our cousins and the fact that there's nobody there to tell them this. And are you really saying there's no hope for them because nobody's told them? That question bothers me more than the academic question. And anybody who hasn't been bothered by the question hasn't thought about it very Good. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, as you say, it's one thing to deal with the question at an academic and theoretical uh, level. And that's what we do. Right. And, and there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for that. Right. Uh, but whenever you're talking about it as a very real and existential question, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you, you know, I, I have the privilege of looking back at my family tree and my great great grandfather was a Baptist preacher. And, right. I, mm-hmm. and I could look on both sides of the family many generations back who've, who've enjoyed the blessings of the gospel. As you said, uh, for those who are converted out of a non-Christian environment, this is a very real mm-hmm. existential issue. I remember talking, as you say, to a couple hmm. who had been talking to them for a number of weeks in my office and my, as I was pastor, and they were coming to faith. Mm-hmm. They were coming to, to, ex- to that point. And I can remember um, the wife just breaking down in tears and, you know, what, what, what's holding you back? Mm. She said, if I trust Christ, I'm saying all my family is lost. Right. Wow. And 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 that's that, that's a very because she was from a very very non-Christian environment. Right. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was and so so that's a very real thing. And I think that I think we all wrestle with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I ask a question about that then? So here we are. We're asking the, the opening line here was what is the gospel? Right. And here we're we're dealing with this this really difficult 
very practical reality of not only those who've never heard in foreign countries, but those who have never heard in our own families. Mm-hmm. Sure. Isn't that bad news instead of good news? How do you respond what is to that? The bad, what do you mean? The... Wouldn't that be bad news? If here we are, we're, we're sharing the gospel with people, but part of their barrier to believing is, but what about those in my own family who've already passed away, who I mm-hmm. know didn't know about Christ? Are we in the process? Are we saying, well, actually, this might be bad news? Or how would you respond to that kind of a question? Yeah. So the way that I've responded through the years is to, to first of all, to make an apology and to say, look, it's not God's fault that uh, somebody hasn't gone. You know, we have the Great Commission. All Christians are commanded to go make disciples of all nations. So in some way, we as the church own the responsibility of taking the gospel around the world to to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. The other is that there is there is good news because we can trust that. And so the, the, the fact is that we don't really all start off on neutral ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come to this question of the gospel because we have a need, but we have a need that we created. We created that need by rebelling against God. And that sin is what separates us from God. And God in his own grace has made a pathway that we can be right with him through Jesus Christ. So there's the good news in that. Yeah. It is... It is concerning that there are so many who, because of lack of access or information or whatever, haven't heard, maybe haven't heard accurately or adequately to be able to respond. But what I try to remind people is this is a very real issue. I feel the ache and feel the pain, but let's not make it bad news because there is the good news that God has reached out to us in Christ of no obligation of his own, right? By his grace, by his love, he's made a way that we can be right with God. And as Dr. Keith has said early on in the conversation, it is, it's, an, it's a necessity. This is the way to be right with God, and God's done everything he can for us to be right with him. Yeah. And I'd add to that also for those who, uh, who have loved ones who are alive, hmm. uh, you have the opportunity then and, and really the obligation uh, to communicate the gospel with them. Uh, my in-laws, uh, they grew up in mainline churches. Uh, one grew up in a, in a Lutheran church. One grew up in United Church of Christ. Uh, and it wasn't until they were in their 20s, having grown up in these, in these church contexts, it wasn't until they were in their 20s that they had heard the gospel. Mm. And it was because they had some friends that invited them to a Billy Graham crusade. Mm. And so Billy Graham came into town. They went over uh, to the crusade, uh, maybe against their will, <laughs> but they went anyways. Uh, and Billy Graham shared the gospel clearly. Uh, my father-in-law uh, responded to the gospel. He went forward and so forth uh, and, uh, and professed faith in Christ. My mother-in-law, interestingly, she went up forward as well, but she said later that she did because she didn't want to be left alone in that big arena. Mm-hmm. And so, but eventually after that, uh, there was there were some ladies, I think from that same group that invited her to a Bible study. And she said it was there at the Bible study that she came to faith in Christ. Well, they had this issue then. Uh, they had family members, not uh, you know non-religious. They were religious. They were church-going people. Mm-hmm. But they were church-going people at churches that didn't perf- that didn't preach the gospel, hmm. and so now they had the opportunity to share the gospel with their family members, their parents, their siblings, and so on. And that was how the gospel wound up spreading through their family. So, uh, you know, just as you spoke, Dr. Hildreth, about those uh, who didn't believe and are now gone. Well, that brings uh, hopefully even more urgency then for those who are still alive to tell them the gospel and share. Uh, 
uh, your faith with them so that they would believe uh, in uh, the one true good news. Mm -hmm. So what you just told is so powerful, but I I can imagine a hearer at this moment saying, okay, so here are people who are going to uh, churches Mm -hmm. uh, that are Christian churches. Uh, Then eventually they heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. What was it that they heard that they wasn't hearing before? Mm. So mm-hmm. what is the because then they went yeah. back and told their loved ones the gospel. Mm-hmm. So what is the gospel? What is it that they're hearing that they haven't been uh, hearing before? Yeah, well, what they heard before was that uh, you just be good um, in their context uh, uh, up north in a small town in Pennsylvania. Uh, you be good, up, upstanding, moral uh, people, you know, kind of Andy Griffithy, you know, type stuff, you know, do nice things, be nice to people and so on. Uh, and uh, the added layer, be patriotic. Uh, mm. you know, it was a, it was a, a World War II uh, community, kind of a community of World War II vets and so on later on uh, Korea and Vietnam. And so uh, it was about being uh, a, a good person, uh, kind of a moralism type thing, along with patriotism and kind of putting those two together. If you do that, then you're a good Christian young man, good Christian, uh, good Christian young, young lady. What they heard at the crusade was none of your works can save you. Uh, you are not saved by your, by your good works. You cannot do enough uh, to overtake and, and, and kind of outweigh uh, your, your sinfulness before the Lord. Uh, the only one who can uh, take away your sins and the only one who can provide righteousness sufficient for your salvation is the Lord Jesus himself. And so by trusting in him, in his death uh, and in his resurrection, his death on, uh, uh, to take away your sin, his resurrection to, uh, to take away the curse of death, um, and uh, 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 in trusting in him, you will be covered with his righteousness, reconciled to God, uh, and so on, so that then you can live uh, in a manner that is worthy of Christ. So uh, it's really, in a sense, kind of they were believing that good works could save you. And they were right in that sense that your good works can save you. It's just not yours. Mm, yeah. uh, it's in the work of Christ that you can be saved. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, it wasn't until then that they were led to turn away from trusting in their own works and trusting wholeheartedly in the work of Christ. And I think you've just made such an important point that relates then to the major religions of the world right. and much of Christendom. And that is, uh, we, I think we all recognize that in order to be saved, we must repent of our sins. What isn't realized quite as clearly is that in order to be saved, you have to repent of your good works. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you have to, to repudiate all self-effort. Mm. And I would go so far as to say that it may be good works and the adherence to good works that, is, that keeps more people from the kingdom of heaven uh, than uh, holding on to particular sins. Sure. In that sense, uh, of course, one could say, well, actually, the greatest sin being committed there is the sin of pride, mm-hmm. and, and that may be what's going on. So in this holiday season, as we are uh, taking the Lottie Moon offering mm-hmm. for those of us who are in Southern Baptist churches, mm-hmm. how can we, in very practical ways, emphasize in a positive way Jesus is the way? Mm-hmm. How, would, how would we do this in our local churches? What, 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 what do you recommend? Yeah, well, first off, uh, we have 
the opportunity of all opportunities. Uh, we don't do this, uh, at least culturally, we don't do this on Easter uh, or any of the other, you know, kind of high uh, Christian holidays and so on. There's something about Christmas that the entire culture is is singing praises to Christ. Uh, now, of course, we also have Mariah Carey, and we also have you know uh, and Will Ferrell uh, loving the baby Jesus. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but we hear you know over and over again, you know, Oh, holy night! You know, uh, uh, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You know, and uh, uh, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And there's there are millions of people in our in our country. Uh, and beyond that perhaps have no idea what these words mean. Uh, it's a great melody. We sing it every year. You know, it's about a guy named Jesus and so on. And we have the opportunity then to explain that. Uh, this is what it means that Christ has come. There is hope, you know, in this world. Uh, I, I'm always encouraged around Christmas time uh, because it's, one, uh, uh, because of the good news of Christ, uh, but also we're, we're towards the end of the year and, and we get the opportunity to reflect. And a lot of folks, are, as they look back on the year, they see the, the ugliness of sin. They see the effects of the fall. They, they reflect on these types of things. And it's in that darkness that we can uh, proclaim bright and shining, you know, the, the light of the gospel, the good news that there is hope for this world. Uh, and that hope is a person. His name is Jesus. Uh, and because of his death and resurrection, all things will be made new. Mm. Uh, and we get to celebrate that uh, in his coming. I mentioned the Lottie Moon mm-hmm. Christmas offering. Talk to us, Dr. Hildreth. What's that all about? Yeah, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is an offering that uh, Southern Baptists take every year, typically at Christmas time. It is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's uh, sponsored by our Women's Missionary Union. But 100% of that offering goes to support the work of our International Mission Board. It's the largest missions offering in the history of missions where churches give uh, and uh, it goes into this fund, which uh, Southern Baptists use to fund all of our international mission uh, missionaries, the mission programs, mission projects that we are involved in. That, alongside the cooperative program, uh, funds all of our international missionary activity. So it really is a, a major opportunity that we have first to support missions, but also to think about them. I think this is a great season that we uh, who are preaching in churches have the chance to remind uh, those who are listening, not just that we're giving money to missionaries. Hey, these poor missionaries out there, they live in a hut or they live in a cold place or a hot place or a big city or a small town. Let's feel sorry for them and give them money. But it's a great opportunity to remind the people in our pews the reason we support missions is because of this narrow way towards salvation. And our missionaries are around the world telling people that there is hope found in Jesus Christ. In a world of options, literally, uh, we support missions. And these missionaries, our missionaries, our Southern Baptist missionaries are out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who, who desperately need to hear it. If they weren't there, there's a great possibility that people would just never hear about Jesus. So the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is a way to uh, demonstrate our faith in this great biblical truth. Absolutely. That Jesus is the way. Right. And the only way. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
Professor Ranjur Locke, Dr. Scott Hildra, thank you guys for being with us today. As a quick reminder, uh, Ranjur oversees and directs our Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership. They have uh, their own podcast called Pastor Matters. So if you're not following or listening to that, uh, please do enjoy that. You're doing yourself a disservice by not listening to it. And then as well, uh, Scott Hildreth leads our Center for Great Commission Studies. They also have a podcast called The Scent Life. The Scent Life, that also is a great joy and benefit and blessing to many. So follow them on Twitter, listen to their podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Professor Locke, are you going to close us out in joy to the world? I think he's going to sing for us. <laughs> Next time. All right. Next time. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> As we wrap up today's episode and another year at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture, we want to take a moment to recognize some people that you probably don't know about, although you enjoy their good work. They're always working behind the scenes and they help make all of this possible. Yes, we are blessed with a tremendous staff here at the Bush Center for Faith and Culture. And so we want to conclude this week's episode by introducing them and having them tell us their favorite Christmas traditions. My name is Emily Harrison, and I am the administrative assistant for the Center for Faith and Culture. My favorite part of Christmas is seeing the wonder of Christmas come alive for my six-year-old. Lucky for me, his favorite part is getting messy in the kitchen with me. With sugar, flour, and sprinkles flying everywhere, we can bake things to share with our family and friends. This year has been a year of grief for our neighborhood, and I know I'm looking forward to being able to share some treats with those on my street and to share the true hope of the season with them. My name is Nancy Brito, and I serve as the grant administrator for the Center for Faith and Culture. My family has always held a fun tradition of eating Mexican food for dinner on Christmas Eve. But since getting married in 2017, this tradition has evolved to become an even more special and significant meal for us called Cena Navideña. And this is in celebration of La Noche Buena. My husband is originally from the Dominican Republic where Cena Navideña and La Noche Buena, or Christmas Eve, is even a more prominent celebration than a Christmas Day celebration. My name is Amanda Hood, and I serve as a faculty secretary to Dr. Keithley and Dr. Quinn. My husband Derek and I are newlyweds who didn't grow up in Christian households. We are really looking forward to creating new family traditions with Christ at the center of them. This year for Christmas, we'll be reading the Word together with our family and our friends in our own home over the Christmas weekend. Thank you to each of our staff members for how you all serve and serve so well. Thank you all for listening. We're going to take a few weeks off for Christmas, but we'll be back in 2022. It's hard to believe. 2022 with new episodes. And until then, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Feliz Noche Buena. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.